For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome back in another episode, Believe in Patriots on the Believe Podcast Network. This is episode number eight. We are coming up on the official, well, training camp's already started, but coming up on our first day of padded practices, which is August 17th. So uh, having a lot of fun so far. We're less than a month away from the start of the regular season. And uh, the episodes have been great, continued support, appreciated by all of you. Remember, you can find us on all your channels, on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and uh, on the Believe website. Just Google Believe in Patriots. Uh, this episode is audio only. It will still on, we're still on YouTube, but just the audio portion, no video today. And that has to be because our guest today, Pro Football Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce, couldn't do video and you know what when Isaac Bruce tells you hey I can only do the phone you accommodate Isaac Bruce a guy who an all-pro receiver a Super Bowl champion he lost to the Patriots in the 2001 season Super Bowl 2002 the year so we'll talk about that as well that's coming up in a couple of minutes so looking forward to that again you can follow me on Twitter at FA Radio Brady the big news involving the Patriots right now is that they signed running back Lamar Miller Lamar Miller 29 years old starting caliber running back missed last year with the Texans due to a torn ACL Um, this move caught me by surprise I've been so focused on who can the Patriots scoop up that gets cut from other teams as training camp approaches or who's going to be a cap casualty as teams look to save money I hadn't really thought about buy low guys I thought that they could use their 34 million dollars almost to go and get some higher price guys that teams just couldn't afford or didn't want to afford anymore I wasn't thinking about rebound candidates, and I especially wasn't thinking about running back rebound candidates. I like Lamar Miller a lot. Starting caliber running back, 29 years old. He's been in the league for a long time. From 2014 to 2018, he averaged nearly 1,000 rush yards, six touchdowns. Then he averaged, or then he had, I mean, catches, you can catch out of the backfield. He's a willing blocker. He adds another element to this running back room And the running back room, make no mistake, is now the deepest position on the Patriots. Before the opt-out of Patrick Chung, before the trade of Deron Harmon, you maybe could have said the whole defensive backfield is, but there's no doubt now it's running back. This is the deepest position on the team. You have Rex Burkhead, James White, Damian Harris, Lamar Miller, Sony Michelle, and then you factor in that Cam Newton can add you an element to the run game as well. There's no doubt in my mind that the Patriots' best and most reliable unit or best and deepest unit is their running back room. Lamar Miller can play, and if Lamar Miller is healthy, and it's always an if when you're talking about a guy who's nearly 30 years old who's coming off a torn ACL, but if Lamar Miller is healthy, he's absolutely somebody who will and should see time for the Patriots. And I'm just excited to see what Josh McDaniels comes up with, because I've been saying this for years that I want to see more creativity. 
And now is the time to do it. Tom Brady's not there. You're not bound by the way that Brady plays. McDaniels will have more incre- you know, more continued control over what's happening on the field offensively. I, I want to see a hey, shotgun. Cam's there. He's flanked by two running backs. And those two running backs are James White and Lamar Miller, two guys that both can catch the ball out of the backfield, two guys that both can take a handoff, two guys that can both uh, be decoys if Cam's going to do something. More, th- this Patriots team does not have enough talent anymore to just go 13-3 and three based on talent alone. They don't have that. They need to be creative. Their schedule is brutal. Now it's made easier by the fact that it looks like there's going to be no fans at, at, at games, or a lot of games at least. So, um, you know, when you go to week two in Seattle and there's no fans there potentially, that's an advantage for the Patriots. When you go out to Los Angeles to play the Rams and there's no fans, that's an you know, or, or minimal fans, that's an advantage for the Patriots. So there's things that help New England. But when you create... Their schedule is so hard that you have to create mismatches, create uncertainty, and that's what I want to see Josh McDaniels do. Let's get Sony Michelle and Damian Harris back there together. Let's get Rex Burkhead back there with Lamar Miller, two guys that are extremely similar. Both can block, both can, both can catch, both can can run out of the backfield, both can run hard, both can go laterally with some speed. This is what New England can do. This is what I want New England to do. And then when you factor in again, when you factor in Cam's ability to run himself or the threat of Cam running, the the, the playbook becomes so much more open to Josh McDaniels. And that's what I'm really I'm going to be looking for in the early going is how creative are they? Different formations, different different personnel groupings. What does Cam do? How willing is Cam as a runner? What are they doing in short yardage? I come into this Patriots season with so many questions that I want answers to. And you know what? I like it. I've talked about this before. This isn't Super Bowl or bust to me. This is let's get answers. Let's move the franchise forward. And the Patriots come into me incredibly intriguing. And not knowing is exciting to me because I like the process of building and then finding out what works and what doesn't. And Josh McDaniels, to me, if he is the offensive guru that we think that he is or that he's portrayed to be, he's going to have to be very, very creative. Um, the Lamar Miller signing, though, it emphasizes what we said in the last podcast. Sony Michelle's future is up in the air in New England. And, and Sony Michelle, he helped him win. He was instrumental. He had 300. 40 yards rushing in the playoffs in 2018 helped them win a Super Bowl. To me, the draft pick was justified. He is not a bust. He's gone nearly a thousand yards the last two years. He helped them win a Super Bowl. If if, if it ends, if his football card ends there, the Patriots got what they wanted out of Sonny Michelle. But another injury. He's on the pup list still. He may not be ready for week one. That is not when we heard this foot surgery a couple of months ago it was everything was just ah no big deal he'll be ready regular offseason procedure really now you might not be ready for week one now you're signing a back who's been a starter for five years in this league who's been who's gotten a high-paid contract in his career you don't do that for things that are for guys that are just going through routine offseason maintenance so now sony michelle's got a battle white harris Burkhead, Miller. That's four guys that he's got to battle just to get on the field. And then, remember, he's going into his third year. This is Sonny Michel's third year. The Patriots have until after next year to make a decision on his fifth-year option as a first-round pick. And you'd like to think 
that the team will have hit on Sony Michelle enough that they'd want to keep him around for a fifth year at an affordable rate. But as of right now, I don't think that they would. And Sony Michelle needs this year to get on the field and give him some momentum going into next year. I mean, going into next year. Actually, they have until after this offseason to make the decision. Until Going into his fourth year, that is when they make the decision on whether his fifth-year option is going to be exercised. So he needs this year more than I just said he did 20 seconds ago. Sony Michelle needs to be able to get on the field, to get reps, to play and play a lot for his financial earning future as well. Um, a couple other quick things before we get to Isaac Bruce. The Patriots players are excited about Cam, and that's what you've seen over, if you've read any transcripts or listened to any audio of what the Patriots players have said in the last couple of days at training camp. They should be excited about Cam. Well, number one, what do you expect them to say? Number one, of course, like, number one, they're not going to come and say, well, we wish Tom Brady was here. That, that's No pro athlete's going to say that. And in the New England, they're definitely not going to say that. So if you were expecting to hear them cry for Tom Brady, they were never going to do that. Everyone is also, I, I was talking once to Takeo Spikes, who's also a host on the Believe Podcast Network, an all-pro linebacker, played for the Bengals, four other teams, um, Buffalo. He said no one's ever anticipated, he said he never anticipated a bad season. He said, I've been on some bad teams, but I never anticipated a bad season. There's always, it's a first day of school feeling at training camp. Everybody thinks that they are in it. No one's going to sit here and lament the fact that we think the team isn't as good. They're excited. They look at it and say, we got a guy who's played a lot of football, who's been to a Super Bowl, who's won an MVP, who's been a face of a team and the face of a league before. They should be excited about that. And he does add a different dynamic. So I think... Well, nobody will come out publicly and say they don't enjoy playing with Tom Brady. They do enjoy the idea of something new. Players also can get tired of the same monotony over and over again. Cam adds a different dynamic in the locker room. He adds a different dynamic on the field. He adds a different dynamic in the run game. He opens up things for the running game, as we just talked about, in a way that Tom Brady couldn't do. He can account a little bit better for porous offensive line play at times because of his ability to escape the pocket. And now the Patriots are smart. They see what's happened around the league as other teams, in addition to themselves, have had players opt out as offseason programs were cut short or non-existent, essentially as preseason has been taken away. You're looking at a much more level playing field. And while we don't think the Patriots talent level is good enough to go 12 and four, the Patriots players look around and go, well, Tua didn't get an off didn't get a proper offseason. The Bills and Josh Allen didn't get a proper offseason to continue to develop. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen didn't get to work together a ton in the way that they usually would prior. We've got the best head coach in NFL history. We can overcome for some of this stuff. And look around. The Browns are supposed to be a contender to us. They have a new head coach. They didn't get their proper time in. The uh, the Chargers have a rookie quarterback. They didn't get their proper time in this offseason. So there's a lot of things that if I'm a Patriot fan or a Patriot player, rather, I would be excited about. And Julian Edelman said it best. He said, obviously, Tom and I played a lot of football together. I love him to death. But the train keeps moving as it will when I'm not playing here. This is what he said in response to how excited he is about, uh, about Camp Newton and about how he feels about Tom Brady not being in Foxborough, he's right. The train keeps on moving. I'm going to miss Tom Brady. 
The fans will miss Tom Brady. We will all miss the record that was brought to New England by Tom Brady. The Patriot players, though, they aren't thinking in the rearview mirror. Pro athletes are not conditioned in that way. They are conditioned to move forward and to always be looking ahead. I want to get to our guest, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, a guy who lost to the Patriots in a Super Bowl, Isaac Bruce, class of 2020 Pro Football Hall of Fame. Right, welcome back. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast. I'm Brady Farkas. Very excited to welcome in Pro Football Hall of Famer, class of 2020, former uh, Rams and 49ers wide receiver. Has a little bit of history with the Patriots. We'll get to as well once I soften them up. It is Isaac Bruce. Isaac, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you joining me and, uh, and a lot of fun for us to do this talk. Um, congratulations on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. But what happens now in the world of coronavirus? What is it like now? Are you are you going in next year? What's the process like? Yeah, the plan has been to uh, postpone uh, this year and uh, do a collaboration with the class of 2021. So it bodes well as far as uh, about 20, maybe 20 guys that will be inducted. And we'll see how they handle it, the logistics of it. An unbelievable career for you. Um, and it, it, it was uh, an interesting road for you because it didn't start out easy. Talk about, I mean, three, a couple different colleges, four different colleges in total by the time you factor in your Purdue commitment. What was your road like to, to the Hall of Fame? I was unconventional. Obviously, uh, you know, by going to junior college, um, I made a decision to leave South Florida and uh, head out to Los Angeles to start my college career. Ended up at Santa Monica City College. I think was one of the better moves uh, with the relationships and the friendships that were garnered there. Um, taught me a lot about being a man early on in life and uh, giving me a, a true respect for uh, what we call the dollar bill. <laughs> and um, had fun, man. Had fun doing it. Ended up at Memphis, playing my two years at Memphis, and uh, was drafted right back in Los Angeles by the Rams. You know, one of the things that's most amazing to me um, that I wanted to ask you was, you went through a relocation, a franchise relocation, early in your career. You mentioned being drafted by Los Angeles, but I think it was one year there, and then the team moves to St. Louis. What was that like for you early in your career? Um, you know, um, uh, being, a, being a young guy, 21, uh, with an NFL contract, uh, in, in the city of Angels, Los Angeles. <laughs> it, it, it's something that's made for television. I didn't want to believe uh, I, I was experienced out there. But, you know, when business calls, man, which was a, was truly a business decision by the organization at that time, uh, they had to go ahead and, and, uh, and jump on board. And I think jumping on board and being all in, going to St. Louis, uh, was one of the gr- best moves that I think, really, I think extended my career. And I'll be forever grateful for it. Just, so just being in St. Louis, I think the focus, the perspective of being a professional football player changed at that moment. And I think we were able to focus a lot more of our attention on football. What was it like for you that final season in Los Angeles from a fan, from a fan support perspective? What was that like? Well, it was definitely a broken relationship between fans and ownership. There were fans that were uh, very faithful. Uh, as far as supporting the team coming to game, and they were upset about the team leaving. Um, some showed that by really coming to the games and voicing their opinions. Others showed by not showing up at all. So, um, you know, and, and with the with the move from the Los Angeles to St. Louis and, and landing in St. Louis, the fan support was just amazing. I mean, the first five years, I mean, games sold out, home games sold out. Uh, had a true 
Patriot fans remember, older Patriot fans remember what it was like when the team wasn't very good. Once you guys got to St. Louis, you guys weren't very good for the first couple of years. What was that process like of building a good team? And then ultimately you guys won the Super Bowl in 99, but what was it? What was the process like of building going through those growing pains? Well, it's, it's a lot of frustration. Um, it's a lot of mixed emotions. I mean, sometimes you're, you're happy. Uh, you're down. You just don't know what's happening. Um, but it's football. It, it was it was about building, and, and, and in football, a lot of times you have to build from the from the top down to the bottom. So therefore, you know, we had to have the right general managers in place and, and, and have an owner that's interested in winning and winning big. So I think once those got in place, uh, the football uh, part of it started to handle itself. Uh, we, we draft differently. We uh, were involved in free agency differently. And, you know, it started culminating in two guys that had a winning mentality so that we can go out and have a better product on the field. When you think about the greatest show on turf years, how unbelievable is that story? You have a quarterback in Kurt Warner who's bagging groceries in Iowa. Then you get Marshall Falk who comes in from the Colts and then eventually Torrey Holt. I mean, that's just an unbelievable collection of talent and a great story that came together all at one time. Oh, without a doubt. And like I said, once once the mentality of the leadership that we had from a manager standpoint to head coach, uh, to all of the defense coordinators, once those were fortified, we, you know, we knew what we wanted in players. And when players became available via Fury Agency or via draft, uh, fortunately, we were there right there in a, in a place to, 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 to pick those guys. And it, it changed tremendously just playing in that era and with those group of guys, man. You know, a lot, of, a lot is talked about their uh, ability to play the game. But I don't think enough is mentioned about their selflessness and being able to uh, be the best they can be uh, when their numbers were called. As far as being a decoy, as far as carrying on their teammates, as far as doing the small things, the small things other guys weren't really interested in doing. When I think about great wide receiver tandems of of the last 20 years or so, I think Chris Carter, Randy Moss, Anquan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald, and you and Torrey Holt. How much does life change for you as a number one receiver when you get a great number one receiver along you on the other side? Well, you would, you would, you know, naturally you would think that you know a lot's going to be taken away from you. But contrary to popular belief, when you get another guy that has a number one mentality. It opens up a lot more for yourself. I mean, it's, it's very hard to build a team myself and Tori Hoda at the same time. And, and not only that, when you have guys that played within a spot like Ozzy Cam and Ricky Pro, all in that same unit, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's tough for opposing defenses to really corral one guy. So I think in, 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 as a whole, it benefited everyone. The wide receiver position, everybody always calls you guys divas. Everybody always calls you guys selfish. Um, did it take any adjustment at all for you in your career when Torrey came in, Oz is there, and all these other guys are getting their shot in the offense? Did it take any sacrifice from you, or, or, or were you just already built that way? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think um, if you're not built that way, you still have the capacity to be trained that way. So as far as I'm concerned, I had, I had dealt with a lot of losing uh, early on in my career. And now when the blitz in the chamber start to change and guys who can go out and compete at the very same level as me are on my team now, I was more interested in winning championships than really just having my number call. And I think when my focus 
changed from that perspective. It's funny how a lot of more passes came my way. <laughs> how does how does your perspective change as you become a veteran player? Because I was always under the assumption that some players want money, some players want playing time, and some players want championships. But those things all seem to vary at different points of your career. When did it start to shift for you? Well, um, just being just being schooled or being tutored by you know great veteran guys that I was around, the Jackie Blakes, Flipper Anderson, Jesse Tester. These guys taught me the importance, and fortunately, I had an ear to hear them at a very young age, uh, 21, 22, coming into the league, that when you focus your, your, your attention on winning championships, all the stuff like, like money, all, all the stuff like attention off the field as far as endorsements are concerned, they, they seem to run you down. So uh, all the other organizations want your players. They're, they're willing to overplay for your players. So uh, when you put your focus on winning championships, those things seem to run you down. Who was the, the the defensive back? I'm not going to say anybody could shut down Isaac Bruce, but who's the DB that Isaac Bruce didn't want to go up against on Sunday? Uh, I don't think that guy existed. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, there's was, there was obviously guys who put a lot of time into their preparation, guys who study film, guys who uh, study alignments and route combinations, things of that nature. And those who can anticipate, you know, what we were trying to do against them and try to be successful from our standpoint. Those guys right there, they, they always offer me the bigger challenge. You know, this is the Believe in Patriots podcast. You're the host, the co-host of the Believe in Rams podcast. Everybody always blames the media, Isaac, but I see a lot of former players wanting to come into the media, so why'd you want to join the bad guys? Well, it's a, it's a part of it. I think there's a combination between the two. Um, I think as far as it being a media hit is concerned, what, what better guy to give a true perspective of what goes on in a locker room than a former player or a former general manager? So those those things right there, they, they, they collide. And I think, you know, my experience uh, puts me in a position to be able to tell a story of what's happening from week to week in the National Football League. The 2001 Super Bowl loss against the Patriots. I'm just going to ask you a blanket question. What was that game like for you as you're going through it? What are your memories? Uh, you know, it, it was a game where I felt like um, that we had we had re- already received the Patriots' best. And and I say that from that Sunday night game that we played yeah. in Foxborough uh, that same season. I think we, had re- we, we received their best, and there was nothing more that they had provided us that we hadn't seen already and we felt very confident uh not arrogant but just confident um we were playing in a, in a stadium we were used to playing in uh we played in it every year uh down in new orleans and i just felt like uh playing on the surface that we were playing on gave us you know uh, another advantage to win the game uh just unfortunately it, it just didn't happen that night how long did it take you to get over that loss or do you never get over a loss like that um, you can get over a lot. You get over it. I think I'm over it. But, you know, every time, you know, something else comes up uh, or, or the Super Bowl rolls around, you know, games like that are always being spoken of, uh, indiscretions by uh, the New England Patriots when they happen again in the media, you, you tend to think and say, well, maybe this truth to what other people claim happened. So, I mean, it, it's about getting over and just not dwelling on it. So I, I think it's over. Am I over it? Of course I am. Was it made easier to get over because you had already won a ring just a couple of years earlier? Well, true true winners don't just want one ring. Uh, they want multiple rings. I mean, I was in a position and in a mindset where I wanted multiple championships to, to, to be a part of my career. So if you're asking me a question, which game do I think about most, 
obvious is that it's 34 over 36. <laughs> How weird was that Super Bowl in general against the Patriots? Because that was the the year of 9/11. Super, you know, the season gets delayed a week, and then you're pushed back, and you don't have the usual two weeks in between. What was just that year like in general, and leading up to a different Super Bowl process? Uh, it was it was different from the standpoint of uh, what 9/11 had. Um, it it was different from you know being heavily favored all season long and playing a team that you that you've already played. Uh, in the season, in the regular season, and felt like that you you were really, really, like I said earlier, on your turf, your style, your atmosphere, and uh, just to just to have a great the greats that were on the opposite team really just show up or be born at that time, and uh, and just have that game just to lose that game. Bill Belichick gets so much credit for um, taking opponents, taking away opponents' strengths. Did you see anything from the Patriots there in Belichick defensively, something that you weren't ready for? Uh, I, I don't think I did. I, I felt like um, he, he may have taken a blueprint out of some of our division opponents uh, that year. Uh, Maybe the Saints, uh, the Carolina Panthers at that time. Uh, I felt like you know, when we really were had it cranking and throwing the ball all over the place, the next step for any defense would to be a would be to put an extra defense back on the field, and that's pretty much what we saw from from the, uh, the Patriots that night. Do I think that you know he was attempting to bait us to just throw the ball over the field? It could have been something like that, but I felt like you know if that was the case, when we saw it within our division. You know, our cure-all was just to hand the ball to number 28 just let it run wild. And, you know, unfortunately it just didn't happen that way for us. You know, while Tom Brady now is looked at as the GOAT, back then he was just the guy who replaced Drew Bledsoe and was, a you know, an unheralded quarterback. When you're watching that game as it's unfolding or when you're going into that game, are you giving Brady any praise or are you thinking, okay, this guy, you know, lucky, this guy's gotten lucky thus far, we're going to put him in his place? Uh, just to be honest, just to be honest, in a game like that, uh, where we were down for a very long time, uh, your, my focus was was pretty much just putting points on the board, trying to execute an offense. Um, I, was, I was playing in the game with a broken rib at that time, and I'm really just trying to help guys get going, just trying to be the best decoy I can be at that time, you know, to help other guys get open. So I, I really didn't see it. I really just just didn't see the, the Tom Brady greatness at that moment. But uh, I'm not shocked by uh, what he's become. I think he, he's put a lot of hard work into uh, becoming uh, the guy that he is right now. Uh, I think he has a humble attitude uh, as far as the game is concerned. Uh, he, he respects the greats that have come before him and, and the guys that are coming after him. And he, take care, he takes really good care of his body. So it put him in a position uh, to be around for a very long time and to be great. You know, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. I believe all the years match up correctly, but uh, Rodney Harrison, great player for the Patriots and the Patriots Hall of Fame before when he played for the Chargers. It was preseason against you guys when he hurt Trent Green, which I believe led to Kurt Warner coming in. And I seem to remember a lot of people thinking that that hit was dirty and or that Rodney Harrison was dirty. What do you remember about that game? Well, yeah, it was a preseason game. It was a short snippet of, you know, the starters being in the first quarter. And Rodney had a, a, a reputation that, you know, some would have deemed dirty. But at the same time, I think Rodney was the guy that just, he just played hard. He played through the whistle. He, he was the guy that played through the echo of a whistle. And, um, you know, that that was no different. It was just unfortunate that, 
you know, one of his pass rush or his, his blitz, um, he ended up getting, you know, past running back and, and landing on Trent's knee. So it was unfortunate for everyone, and uh, uh, maybe except for Kurt. Uh, Kurt got that opportunity. And, and, and it. it was certainly a different game from a defensive standpoint back when you played, and therefore a different game from the wide receiver standpoint. If there's no DB that can lock Isaac Bruce, who's the one safety that you a little more fearful of going through the middle on? Well, I would, I would say respectful. Um, you know, I played in a generation, and I always call it the dispensation in which I played. You know, you really had to respect guys on the back end. You had to respect the, the, the Steve Atwaters, yeah. the Ronnie Lost. You had to respect the, the Samity Bulls. I mean, guys who probably didn't have a superstar caliber name, but at the same time, these guys could give you a headshot, which was legal. I mean, you, you, you made sure that, you know, coming in and going in and coming out of break, that, you know, you had the discipline of your route running because, you know, it was legal to knock a guy out at that time. So, um, just the respect level. I made sure I respected all those guys that were there on the back end of that defense. You know, I grew up a Seahawks fan, and a lot of my worst childhood teenage memories are you, Torrey Holt, and Kurt Warner, or you, Torrey Holt, and Mark Bolger, and just who tormented me for years, and the Seahawks never beat you guys. How did you guys keep it up after Kurt Warner left? Because you were still, people don't remember vividly that you guys were still really, really good for a long time. Yeah, we had a good team. I mean, I think it, it, it starts with the, with the mentality. Uh, Torrey Holt had a number one mentality from the day he stepped in St. Louis. Um, uh, he, he was a great player. Uh, he wanted to be great. Uh, Mark Bolger, he had been around us for a while. I think, you know, we kind of trained Mark Bolger to be, you know, a great player. I mean, he had the opportunity to, be, to step in, and uh, he had some great talent around him. And fortunately, you know, when we went out to Seattle to play, um, I, I just think we had a winning mentality. We had a we had a uh, what some would deem probably arrogant mentality as far as our division was concerned, and we just believed that we were going to win. No matter what transpired in that game, we were going to find a way to come back home with a victory. Well, Patriots fans certainly familiar with the Rams because of the Super Bowl history that uh, the two organizations had two years ago where the Patriots went on and won that game. I am incredibly high on Sean McVay. I think he's an offensive guru. Now that you're covering the Rams all the time, what do you think of Coach McVay and his offense? I, I think he's special. I think he's a special talent. Uh, he's a guy that's, that's innovative, uh, and, and he's uh, not afraid to change. And, you know, if one thing isn't working... Uh, he, he's not afraid to go and do something else or another player. So I think that bodes well for what we have as far as uh, leadership is concerned. Uh, I think he's a guy that's really, really focused and knows that it's about the run game that gets everything else moving. So, uh, you know, I'm interested to see how he adjusts to guys that have adjusted to his playing, his coaching style the last couple of seasons. So, I'm looking forward to it uh, with the addition of Cam Akers at, at the running back position. I think we can get back to being that power running team and being able to play action pass and, get, and push the ball down the field. Between Kyle Shanahan and what the praise that he has, between McVay, between the praise for Cliff Kingsbury, and then the, the, the long-running praise of Pete Carroll, I have to think that the NFC West comes into this year as the deepest division in football. What do you think? I think the same thing. I mean, uh, with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona, I mean, guys are going to have to really, really bring their lunch pill. Uh, for, for the, the 
division crown itself. So I think um, it, it, it's funny. It's going to be interesting to see how fans can participate uh, all through the season, especially in the NFC West. But with the coachings, with the with the with the running backs, with the defenses that we have within that division, man, it's going to be a slugfest all season long. How the Patriots are supposed to come out to Los Angeles or are supposed to play the Rams on Thursday night football? How how would you feel as an elite player without fans? Would you be okay with it because you're so locked in, or the fans really fuel you in football in a way they don't maybe in a sport like baseball? Yeah, I think it's 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 about being locked in. I think uh, you know I, I tell guys, the younger guys who used to come in and complain about the music in the pregame. I'm, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, it, number one, you're on the road. They're not going to play what you want to hear. <laughs> so you have to be a professional and get yourself ready to play. Fans or no fans. Uh, uh, football, it, you can't play football at half speed. You can't play it at 90%. It has to be 100%. I don't care if fans are in the stands or not in the stands. So you have to make sure that you're focused, locked in on your job, so you can go out and produce at the level that you're expected to. Isaac Bruce, Pro Football Hall of Famer, class of 2020, played for the Rams, played for the 49ers as well. Now a co-host on the Believe in Rams podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Isaac, we appreciate it, man. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame, and uh, and we'll do it again as the season rolls around. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks. That was Isaac Bruce on the Believe Podcast Network. Again, you can check him out. Believe in Rams, the new co-host of our sister podcast on this station. I love that interview because I well, number one, I just love the idea of talking to a hall of famer. And I think the, the listeners appreciate hearing a hall of famer on this podcast too. But aside from that, talk about the road that it took to get there, man. You're talking about he committed to Purdue. Then he couldn't fulfill that uh, uh, commitment academically. Then you're at junior college. Then he ends up, you know, at another college and then, all of a sudden, there you know ends up in Memphis. Memphis isn't a football power. And to be honest with you, prior to, to prior to doing the interview or researching for the interview, I couldn't tell you that Isaac Bruce went to Memphis. I can't think of many football players that went to Memphis outside of D'Angelo Williams. There's nobody that comes off the top of my head. Right, Stephen Goskowski. There's two people that come off the top of my head that went to Memphis. And I'm sure if there's more, and I'm sure there are, obviously. There's going to be people that come and, and tell me on Twitter, and, and I appreciate that. But, I mean, I, I never would have told you. I never would have guessed that Isaac Bruce played his college football at Memphis. So, um, a fascinating road to the Hall of Fame. The story of the greatest show on turf, Rams, when you think about it. And the Rams, man, they were so bad for so long. And they leave Los Angeles. They go to St. Louis. He's got to deal with that after one year in the league. And then I mean, there's the the story of Lawrence Phillips. I mean, go look up Lawrence Phillips. It was just, I was rewatching sports illustrated a year in sports, 1996 or something. There's Lawrence Phillips, who is a star at Nebraska, but had all kinds of domestic issues and drug issues. The Rams take him. He's out. He washes out of the league. He's a bust for them. Then you get the Trent green injury and Trent green supposed to be a guy who's supposed to help the Rams. And then there's Kurt Warner fresh out of a Iowa supermarket in the arena league who comes and takes them to a Super Bowl. They get Marshall Falk from the Colts. So Marshall Falk was good with the Colts, but he explodes with the Rams. And then they just become this fun team. They've got this old coach and Dick Vermeil, and then Mike Martz tapes over, and they continue to excel. And and people forget that after Kurt Warner, man, they were good for a number of years. I, I mean, I, I joke with him about growing up a Seahawks fan. They were really good with Mark Bolger for a long time. And those guys were all still there. Falk and Azakim and Ricky Prohl and... Tory Holton. It was just uh, that was a special, 
snapshot in football history. No, it's not a Patriot style dynasty, but the idea that some of these guys came from nothing to be together and to do these great things in the league. That was pretty special stuff. And then the uh, memories of the Oh one season, but the Oh two super bowl against the Patriots um, still vivid for him. And he said, he's gotten over it, but you know, when he thinks about the win, I, I think that the one thing that he didn't want to go down the road as much was because he had won a year before or, or two, you know, a couple of years before that has to make it easier. That has to make it easier for you to get over a loss like this. Um, if that had just been the only chance that he had to win a Super Bowl ring, he'd feel very differently about it. But uh, because he won, I think you're able to put it into a little bit more context. And what in the Super Bowl that they won, remember that's the one where they beat the Titans and Kevin Dyson extends out to the uh, to the goal line and the, 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 the last play of the game. I think it was Mike Jones, the linebacker, who gets the tackle for him for the Rams, and that's what won it for him. So uh, Isaac Bruce, believe in Rams. Um, Go check him out as well. We'll see the Rams later in the season when the Patriots take on uh, Los Angeles on a Thursday night. Uh, we'll wrap it up on this. So Darius Slay is a defensive back for the Philadelphia Eagles. He used to play for the Detroit Lions and played for Matt Patricia, who's underling of Bill Belichick. He said that in Philly, he appreciates it because they can be treated like men. So this is a shot at Matt Patricia. And therefore, it's really a shot at New England because Matt Patricia, Brian Flores, Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss, Eric Mangini, they all try to recreate the, quote, Patriot way. They all try to recreate Bill Belichick. So when you're taking a shot at all of these underlings, you're taking a shot at Belichick in the way that he does things. This is such a fascinating such a fascinating discussion when you talk about failed Patriots assistants. And I, you know, Patricia has failed so far. doesn't mean he'll remain a failure, but it's failed Patriots assistants. And why don't they work? It's really hard to be Belichick, not only from his football acumen, et cetera, not only because the Patriots have had the benefit of Tom Brady for so long. You can't coach players now in the way that Belichick does. The only reason why it works for Belichick, the only reason why it works for Nick Saban is because they're grandfathered in. They've already won so much that players know, okay, look, I've seen tangibly it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it winning-wise. When you are a young player and you're try you're part of the quote change the culture and you're going to do all these things and live under this dictatorship and you're going to go 5 and 11. Players aren't interested in that. It's very, very difficult to, 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 to commit to playing for a Belichickian-style system knowing that it's not going to pay off. It's, it's nearly impossible. I mean, think about it. You're going to be 24 years old, 26 years old, the prime of your life, the prime of your career. You're going to do all these things, make all these sacrifices, sacrifice your financial earning power, your individuality on the field, your role on the team, all to go three and thirteen, all to go five and eleven, all to go seven and nine. Very, very difficult. It only works for Belichick because there's been so much winning. And I would argue that now without Tom Brady there, because Brady and Belichick works, they were perfect for each other because they were cut from the same cloth as far as discipline goes. 
And I'm not saying that Cam or Stidham or Hoyer are not disciplined, but with Brady not so Brady was the perfect conduit for Belichick's message. Belichick has a message. Brady feels nearly the exact same way for 20 years. He pushes that down to the players. The players all respect the quarterback. That's why it works. Now, I would argue without Brady there, without Brady there to push the message, it's going to be harder. I think that Belichick does need to adjust a little bit and readjust to what players of today are and readjust to the team that he has. And I think that if he tries to stay in his old ways without Brady there, it's going to prove to be significantly tougher. It's why veterans on this team like Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty, Matthew Slater are so important because they have to be the ones to push the message forward. All right, that will do it for us on episode eight. We're back at it next Tuesday. Remember, you can find us Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Thanks to Isaac Bruce for joining us. We'll see you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.